0: Hello, and welcome to the Unnamed Automotive Podcast. My name is Sammy Hajisad, and with me, as always, is my good friend and fellow automotive journalist, Benjamin Hunting.
1: Say hi to the people, Ben. Greetings, human listeners.
0: Greetings to everyone. If this is the first time you're listening to our podcast, thank you for trying something new. I will reiterate, Ben and I are a pair of automotive journalists, and we're pretty good friends, aren't we, Ben? Yeah, that's... We're such good friends, I like to cut him off (laughs) mid-sentence before telling him that the floor is his to tell people where they can find his work. Ben?
1: You can find my work at Motor Trend, at Car and Driver, at Inside Hook, and at Driving Line.
0: And you can find my work on the internet, too. Uh, I think recently you can find my work at autotrader.ca, driving.ca, TechSpot, Nouveau Magazine... And I think that's it for now. Well, I can't remember the other places i would published. But you know what? Ben, we've got some pretty cool cars to talk about this week.
1: Sammy, Which, when you say you can't remember where you publish, is it because you sometimes go into a writing fugue where, like, you just everything goes to black, you wake up, and your name's all over the internet?
0: Yes, you know how it is. You uh, drink something questionable, you sit in front of a computer, you wake up, and the lights are flashing everywhere, and you're fingers hurt so they're calloused really Callu- keyboard calluses
1: it's, it's weird easy. how all that absinthe doesn't help with the calluses
0: <laughs> oh no. and uh next thing you know you've got 45 uh, sent emails in a day uh with pl- some with attachments some without um and then you have to go back through those ones that don't have the attachments and add the attachments it's this really was funny until you started
1: talking about email attachments which <laughs> i don't think i've ever been funny in the history of email
0: oh well then
1: that's too bad. How you know, do I make email attachments funnier? So uh, just totally off topic, but you know, we have social media for this these days, so it doesn't happen as much anymore, but people used to email jokes to each other and stuff throughout the workday. I used to do it back before there was any other way to communicate with people for, uh, over a great distance. But before that, even my father used to fax jokes to people in other offices and they would fax him back, and that's that was like the first I think chain letters of the digital age.
0: Faxing, yeah. Isn't faxing. The problem
1: with faxing that somebody else can pick it up. Well, the well, I mean, I guess that's true of any message that's not encrypted. But the real problem with faxing is that it requires paper. Like it's like it's not just you know if you fax if I send you an email that has an attachment that's not funny or you tell an unfunny attachment joke like you just did. What have we really lost other than those few seconds of our lives? But if you fax somebody a joke that's not funny you are causing environmental destruction which means back then in i want to say this was the early 90s you had to really make sure that your joke was funny before you yeah. sent it off into the ether so let me t- like let me ask was like the was like the punchline on a separate paper i don't know i don't know how elaborate fax jokes got <laughs> but that's a good idea or maybe the punchline comes the next day i don't yeah. know yeah I, although how many email attachments have you received across multiple multiple messages doesn't really work that way no it doesn't. or maybe that's how you use email <laughs>
0: I forgot how I use email altogether. Um, Most people tune into this podcast because they want to hear about cars rather than email or even faxes.
1: When's the last time you talked about faxing?
0: (laughs) Never, really. I don't think I've ever really used a fax machine. What, really? Mm, What about legal trouble you had back in 2011? Besides that, but that
1: was one time. It was. Why do you gotta bring that up all the time? Well, it was weird how for a while, like you had to fax a document for it to be legal. You couldn't email like a scan of a document you had to actually fax a document, which is weird because a scan is an actual photo of the document, but a yeah. fax is just like a crudely redrawn image of the document sent to a unit that's using like really terrible paper quality. It just seems strange that that was the gold standard for legal documents for like twenty five years.
0: speaking of gold standards um I drove a compact sedan that has long been held a uh, has long hold, held standards in the automotive industry it is the honda civic si then okay
1: that's not about faxes but i'll allow it <laughs> I, thank you i appreciate that good we segue to, we can get back to the fax talk later no i think you've killed it but i do have plenty of
0: facts about the honda civic si and there it is dead <laughs> <laughs> so um, as you know, this is the new, I think, like eleventh generation Honda Civic. It is now uh, they have they have uh, we have talked about the sedan before. I will talk about the hatchback next week, but between these two episodes uh, or these many, I don't know what I'm trying to say between them. I'm going to talk about the Honda Civic Si. So when you say
1: when you say new seventh generation, is that 2022 eleventh? I think. Oh, sorry, 11th. Sorry. Is that 2022 or is it was it 2021?
0: This is 2022. It came out late 2021. Okay. You know how interesting it is to talk about model years and production years. Well, I
1: ask because I know that right now you can't buy a Type R. So
0: No, this is not a Type R, okay? Yeah. So type R's are 2020s or 2021s or something like that.
1: There's no 2022 model year for the Type R at this time. That's and right. And I'm not sure if we're going to get one because it depends. The new, new one is coming. Well, a new one is coming, but I'm not sure whether it's going to be for 23 or for 22. I'm not sure whether there's going to be this one-year gap where you can't buy a Type R, so the SI is the quickest Civic you can get. And let's talk about this quickest Civic. It is manual only.
0: How do you feel about that, Ben?
1: I feel great about it, but I'm pretty sure Honda dealers are kind of not so into it.
0: Well, there's a lot to
1: talk here because this um,
0: Civic SI Uses a 1.5 liter turbocharged four-cylinder engine, just like the old one, with 200 horsepower, which you will note is five horsepower
1: less than the outgoing model. And I'll also note that Honda seems obsessed with not passing the 200 horsepower mark with the S.I., (laughs) No, it did. Like, the last generation went with 205. Okay, so, like, a a 2.5% increase. But what I I mean is, you know, that's their weird barrier that they've been at for a super long time. Like, I think when the WRX was stuck around, like, 230 horsepower, like, Hmm. just above or just below that for 10 years, it kind of feels like the, the Civic's been there for longer, maybe even 20 years I think it was 197 horsepower at, like, the, the 2000s, the early 2000s. What do you 2000s? think happens when they go over 200 and 205 horsepower? I they think the chairman the of Honda Motors turns so red and <laughs> slams their hand down on the table and says, enough, and it's yeah. done. I it's was
0: ahead. thinking that they would they would start to think about all of the ramifications of having something that powerful – um, you need to get new tires you need to get different brakes you need to you know adjust the all the suspension and you're saying, and,
1: you're <laughs> saying if Honda went to 206 horsepower yeah the collateral so damage <laughs> would be astounding yes it would have to
0: really really change the the car from from what it is
1: oh yeah that's like uh, when when all you know every other turbocharged compact when, when the gti <laughs> when the gti what is it 260 horsepower now the, i really don't know i think they could put
0: whatever number they want and reach that that figure really the
1: first thing that people said was wow now i have to replace all my tires brakes and suspension how how is volkswagen possibly going to afford this <laughs> yes
0: exactly well we all know volkswagen never financially
1: really... <laughs> recovered from this generation yeah. <laughs> gti
0: yeah. and dieselgate and uh the electric car thing that they're working on there Um, Let's talk to me. Talk to me about the Civic Si, because I believe in in my heart, the Civic Si um, really came to uh,
1: popularity in like the 2000s around there or before that late 90s. Sure, I mean, what do you want to talk about? It's it's the cars from back then are so different from the ones today. Back then, it was a high revving naturally aspirated four, and then they kind of went to like the mid revving naturally aspirated four, and now they're at the turbo, the tiny turbo four. Yes. So I think the only real through line for those cars is suspension and handling, because drivetrain wise they're pretty different, and the experience is very different too. I mean, those yeah. early cars had next to no torque, and now they have considerably more.
0: Yeah, they have a ton of torque. They have like 190 something if you really want to get the. That's the a ton right. of torque to
1: you? <laughs> well, 192. I think what we're really <laughs> starting to discover about the SI is that it's kind of a time capsule, but only conceptually. Like the yeah. technology used to produce it has changed radically, but the concept behind the car has remained the same. Kind of like a Miata. Mmm. What? No, Come
0: like there's more in line with a 1990 Miata to a 19 a 2000. What year are we in? 2022 Miata than there is in line between a Civic Si from now and then.
1: I don't. I don't know if I agree with you because the the Miatas. I mean, they're relatively the same weight. They both use a small displacement four cylinder oh. engine, and yep. they both have you know the same yeah.
0: Number of seats and doors. Exactly,
1: and- the whole concept is the same. But if you look at the Civic, it's conceptually, yeah, it's still a 200 horsepower car. But how it gets there is super different.
0: Okay, so how it gets there is an important thing to talk about. They have um, lowered the red line on this, or sorry, lowered the peak power and torque figures on this vehicle. Thank goodness, so 200 horsepower <laughs> arrives at 6,000 rpm as opposed to I don't know 6,200 or something like that before. Um, I should actually give you the real figure for that because people will want to know that you you want to know that, right?
1: I want to know so many things, but I'm happy that with this lower amount of power, I'll save so much money on tires and brakes that I can and gas.
0: Don't forget gas
1: and gas that I can maybe afford my own home.
0: Actually, I'm mistaken. The horsepower comes in at 6,000 RPM, which is 3000 RPM later than the, um, old, the outgoing model, but the torque happens 300 RPM sooner.
1: Okay. Now, show Uh, of hands, who notices a 300 RPM difference at redline? No one. Exactly. Like, really. So, the other thing about this car, it's got a six-speed manual
0: transmission. I mentioned that earlier. It's got a front uh, limited sub-differential. Helps it from too much torque steer, I suppose. And it also has a rev-matching system with the the manual transmission so that you can slickly downshift whenever you... um, Downshift. Is there a better way to describe that? You could just slickly downshift, I suppose.
1: So the all, all of those things, um, except for, perhaps for the rev matching, are consistent features of the Civic Si.
0: Right. Um, the outgoing one I really liked because it had a variable um, suspension system. Like there was a, a button that you would press and the suspension and the steering would get a little bit um, stiffer. And I thought, yeah, adaptive damper system, I think is the, is the phrase that they use.
1: Um, I'm not so sure that this new one has that. Do you think it's just the option wasn't available on your model or do you think it's something they don't have at all? Well, it's not
0: something I see in the specs sheet or their discussion of the vehicle. So I'm worried that it suddenly lost one of the coolest features of the car.
1: Well, it kind of sounds like, and I I want to ask you here, experience wise, does this feel like a lesser SI? Does it feel like just a straight line continuation or does it feel like something better? Because we've kind of picked apart the technical details to death here but the okay. only thing that really matters is how it performs and how you, you feel as a driver
0: right and how i feel as a driver is i really enjoyed I, I really did enjoy driving it it reminded me a lot it has like you know how when you drive a gti there are moments when you're like this is not a sporty version of the the Golf. this is the better version altogether everything about it is better. It's more. You mean it feels smoother. like almost
1: an entirely different model?
0: Yes. This is how I feel about the Civic Si. It feels a little bit removed from the Civic in a way that yes, it's it's louder. It's a little bit more fun to drive with that manual transmission. It gets the power down a little bit better. Um, the rev hang is a bit different. It just feels like a solid, a, a more solid, sportier, confident vehicle all around. Does it feel like a lightweight sort of compact speed machine? Not exactly. But it does get up to power, uh, it gets up to speed really easily, and uh, rowing those those gears is really good. I think Honda usually has um, very slick and smooth operation of their manual transmissions. I sometimes feel that the clutch is a little too light for my liking, and the sport button, as far as I can tell, makes the steering a tiny bit heavier, and makes the car a little bit louder, and then throws in that rev-matching system. So, I don't know if that that, like, it feels a little bit gimmicky there.
1: So when you talk about how this vehicle drives, if you were to line it up against a competitor that that is similar, what would that car be? Especially given that this is a sedan.
0: What are, what are the options here? We have got the Elantra N-Line, I think. But doesn't that have more power? Uh, probably 205, to be honest, or 201. Okay. There's the end. There's like the real end
1: which I think has like 70 more horsepower. Yeah, or but I like think that. that's kind of out of the scope of this car at this point. Yeah. that's something that's interesting about the SI, about the gap that exists now and and we'll be talking about this a bit more with the next vehicle we're talking about today. And the but, same with like the WRX, right? Like the WRX
0: I think should compare with a SI because the the Type R and the STI would compare, right?
1: But it has considerably more power. Yeah, exactly. So a it's, it's, in a power, weird, but it's a little bit
0: heavier. Because all-wheel
1: dry. but it's in, it's in a weird spot, and and uh, again, you know, the difference in horsepower between a Type R and an SI is is large. It's, I mean, if you look at the last generation, it's it's about hundred horsepower, mm-hmm. and if you look at a WRX and an STI at this point, it's only forty or fifty horsepower. I think. Yeah. So it's it's. It's quite different in that sense. Uh, yes. And, and Elantra, Elantra N as well. It's a 70 horsepower gap, not as big, kind of in the middle, splitting the difference there. So Honda's at the they, – they've created – of all of the companies that are offering hot hatches right now, they have kind of created the biggest step up to try to convince you to go to the Type R. Like there's a big meaningful yes. difference between an SI and a Type R.
0: And then that actually puts like the touring model of the Civic, the the standard one – um, there isn't a manual version as far as I can tell, but that still makes 180 something horsepower, right? Like it doesn't seem like that significant of a jump to the SI, um, and will come with a few more nicer features, um, and a, and a CVT, right? So it's was, just a different, it's a different experience, but in terms you'll it, really be wanting to go for the, that's for the people who really want the more performance, more, yeah, sportier edge.
1: And 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 engaging, like you said, with the manual yeah. transmission. But if you were to look at the driving experience from like a handling perspective compared to a stock civic, you said that it does feel like a different vehicle.
0: Yes, it, it feels way more confident. It feels very solid. Um the the steering is a little bit more um direct, like you feel the steering, um you feel more confident with where the steering is uh so Sorry, I'm losing it here. What is happening to me? I, I got distracted
1: by something. Are you dissolving? No, no please don't. I, I'm getting a fax. That's the problem. Oh my goodness! Well, you, you can't stay on the phone all night long <laughs> if you're expecting a fax. Um, it feels the steering just feels it's not. It's responsive. It doesn't have a ton of feedback,
0: but it is responsive. I, I just feel more confident in that in that steering um,
1: speed of the of the SI. So, I mean. Kind of wrapping, up, wrapping things up with this vehicle. Price-wise, is this a meaningful step up over the 180-horsepower Civic? And given that the uh, Type R is probably going to come in at just under $40,000, do you think there's enough of a price difference between the SI and the Type R to make up for that power difference?
0: so the civic the best part about the s i is that it's really affordable with with destination you're going to be spending less than twenty nine thousand okay? dollars okay so that is a
1: significant gap
0: that is a very good price yes, and the standard civic s i uh sorry the standard civic the normal one the tops tops out at twenty nine nine so about thirty thousand dollars with destination so you're actually getting a pretty decent deal because the model I had still had features like um, adaptive cruise control and lane keeping. It was just with a manual transmission, so it doesn't do, like, full-speed stop because I think that would stall you out. So, um, you feel... I think that this is a, a really solid product, yeah.
1: And value-wise, you think that, like, $30,000 buys you a lot of vehicles. Yeah, nowadays. Like at, th- at that point, you're, I mean, you have a lot of options, and not just sedans, hatchbacks, small crossovers, or even medium-sized crossovers at that point. You could probably get a decent Mustang for that price. Uh, so yeah. I, it, it, taking that into account, I mean, let's move outside the idea that this is a, you know, probably... Uh, a
0: compact car? A, comp, a sport compact? Well,
1: not just that. It's it's, it's a sedan, which is, yeah. which is unusual, right? Okay, so, well,
0: have you seen the new Civic? It's huge. Like, space-wise, it is actually a very family-friendly vehicle.
1: So... If you had to choose between something like this, a a four-door, you're looking at a four-door Civic Si because it's practical, you want a manual transmission, but you also want to be able to haul people around, would you be tempted to move in a Mustang direction? Like, is there enough of a performance gap from Ford where you'd be like, "Uh, I don't know, or even I I don't know what kind of Challenger you can get for 30000 not the V8, but I'm sure you could get a decently quick EcoBoost Mustang that none of us enjoy driving, but is certainly (laughs) quick.
0: Yeah. So I think actually of those options I would lean towards the Challenger because of that rear seat space. Um that makes it a little bit more family friendly if you're going to be a child seat back there or anything in that regard. Um and they're much bigger vehicles. Granted they're not great on gas, but the Civic Si just has that like compact car it doesn't it isn't it just truly isn't a compact car anymore.
1: But well, you know, with the Challenger though, I mean the 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 cheapest challenger is twenty nine thousand dollars, and that gets you the yeah. V six, and that is not a performance car. So I don't no. know if I really consider it in the conversation. But the the okay. cheapest Mustang EcoBoost is twenty seven, and mm. if you wanted to mess around with the turbo, I mean you're already I think it's at three hundred horsepower already or yeah, something like that. A hundred more horsepower. Yeah. So that's that's an. It's I don't know. But, I mean that's I always have...
0: the case. Would you get a like a like a hatchback, a sporty compact, or or a hot hatch? Is this combination of things right? It's it is a practical fun to drive vehicle and a mustang has a little bit more of a it has it has fewer of those ways of describing it right like it is a fun to drive coupe like it just isn't it isn't as practical no
1: i mean you'd realistically be looking at a gti which is exactly the same price yeah 241 horsepower now and 273 pound-feet of torque I haven't driven
0: the new GTI, but I've heard it's great, and I would recommend. I would probably recommend end up recommending that. Yeah,
1: I have a I have a new Golf R coming next week that I'm going to try, and and then a couple mm-hmm. weeks later the GTI. So I'm curious to test out. I believe what's the Mark eight generation these ones? I don't know, man. So, but yeah,
0: it's like the GTI has been on has been a very good um, benchmark because it somehow makes the comp the sport compact not feel like. Um, like a compromise.
1: I wonder too about Honda's decision to make the SI a sedan instead of a hatch. There's no hatch version, right?
0: No. So, uh, the, I mean, and there's no, I mean, I don't think there's a coupe anymore either.
1: No. And the type R is hatch only. So yes. you're going to end up in a situation where Honda's making the SI in a form factor that no one buys anymore. Sedans are unpopular. And I'm not sure how much more popular hatchbacks are but it is an unusual choice to not make a hatchback version of the SI and make a hatchback version of the Type R. Like it's just it seems like a very calculated vehicle.
0: Yeah. I think that's fair to say, but what is but we don't even know that calculation. Like that calculation is seems Yeah,
1: less it does logical seem a us. little bit opaque. It's like yeah. there's a very specific formula Honda's using to plan well, you've, its product. Well, you described
0: it, like you said. First of all, that lack of going over 200 horsepower now, we know these motors, like, we know they have the cap- capacity to put either a bigger motor in there um, or, or extract more out of the, the 1.5 turbo or even a 2-liter. Um, we know the that, you know, sedan or hatchback can still be popular. We know that, you know, I, I mentioned the, the adaptive suspension. Um, we know that the pricing is is this weird slot between their top trim models of the regular sedan. It just seemed you're right. There are all sorts of very like just like lines drawn in the sand for the for the Civic Si line or it the Civic line. I kind line. of
1: wonder if this is a car that Honda makes for a heritage reason, like they feel they have to have an Si in the lineup, and not because they know it's going to be a strong seller, and that all the focus is on the R at this point. And yeah, I, that, I, don't I if, think that. I think that tracks. I don't know whether that's good or bad. I mean it's just kind of the evolution of the market, but that's kind of how it feels to me. And then but furthermore, like we've talked about we've talked about
0: Honda's luxury division, the the Acura and their they have their what are the name of their products? The type S? Yes. Or S-type? Type what S type. Type S. Um and we felt really um I don't know if like underwhelmed is the word, but it's like definitely just, the word. <laughs> curious as to what they're doing there too right like again they're trying to draw on some heritage on some branding exercises and they're kind of missing the mark um especially when the rest of the competition in their in in the luxury field is really is really excelling like we're talking about genesis we were talking about bmw recently and we can easily talk about how where those products succeed in ways that these accurates do not and i'm worried about honda right now because it seems like they're just like Sometimes it feels like they're churning stuff out. I do think that the new Civic is fantastic in its class. But as you mentioned, this class is not, is not, a, is not a hot commodity anymore. No one really loves these cars anymore, these compact cars.
1: Yeah, you're going to be going across to buy a Kona or something like that. You know, it's, it's
0: Potentially, yeah. You have to love the sedan body style or the hatchback body style. Um, and you have to be willing to say, I'm, I'm going to put away... Either a better body, uh, like all the drive in a in a in a crossover, or even more space or more power in some cases to get that. And I don't know if that's that's the same argument that so many people would be using.
1: So I, I, that leads me to the vehicle I wanted to talk about this week because it's it's another product line that has seen its offerings shrink and become uh, strangely specific over the past couple of years, and that's mm-hmm. the 2022 Hyundai Veloster N. Um, well, that's a
0: very particular product, the Veloster is one that seems like it was made for, like, one person, and then somehow more people got into it, right? So,
1: it's interesting because the things that make the Veloster... So, just to kind of... We talked about the Veloster uh, and on the podcast in the past. I think it's been three or four years, though, since we've, we've had one on the show. The, the thing about the Veloster that's always been strange is it's a subcompact or maybe compact hatchback with three doors. You have two doors on the passenger side, one door on the driver's side. No other vehicle on the market is doing this right now. I mean... If you go back in the past, this used to be something you saw on full-size SUVs like the Suburban. You could get a version of the Suburban that did that. Uh mm-hmm. the idea was to make it easy to get in the back seat but still be kind of stylish on the driver's side. <laughs> uh, I don't
0: I, I it is so specific. It is such a niche vehicle, but I think a lot of people like that. Either the duality of of looking like looking like a car on one side of the of the vehicle and then looking like a coupe on the other side. I suppose they like that or they just like like the philosophy behind I mean, it's it, definitely you can quirky. be Yeah, that it's quirky and different, and it can be all sorts of things to all, to a bunch of people.
1: But the reason I bring it up in relation to the SI is because the N is currently the only Veloster you can buy. You cannot what? get a normal Veloster anymore.
0: They are done. N- no more Veloster Turbo. No, no more Veloster
1: Regular. No, as of 2022, I... Don't know if this happened last year too, but I know this year, right now, you can't buy any other version of the Veloster, which is really too bad because the turbo was a lot of fun. Mm. It wasn't as powerful as the N, but it was a fun-to-drive vehicle. You could get a decent amount of equipment in it, and it was uh, reasonably priced. I mean, that was a a good thing about the Veloster. It helped draw people in past the weirdness, and yeah, I'm checking now. It is 2022 model year, but the reason is... Hyundai is selling so many Konas and so many venues that they don't need a vehicle like the Veloster in the showroom, potentially confusing people about how many hatch-like uh, options that they have. So I, I picked up That seems like such a North American issue though, right? In what sense? Is this a global thing? Like is the Veloster just not being sold everywhere? I don't know. I'm, I can only speak to North America. That's part. so weird. So um, the the version that I drove- I've never driven it before. It's the DCT. So there are two, you can get a six-speed manual or you can get an eight-speed dual clutch with the Veloster. And I'm on record as loving a lot of things about the Veloster. It is perhaps my favorite Sport Compact car. It is a rowdy, just fun, raucous, absurd, great looking, I think, in certain colors. And uh, just the handling of the car is everything you would want in not necessarily a track car, but in a car that you're going to enjoy driving on a daily basis, it makes great sounds. The shifter in the six-speed, it, 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 it's you know, not clunky. It's it's smooth enough to have a good time, but it's not like precise to the point where you're going to be annoyed in traffic. All this stuff at a price point, it's like thirty-two thousand dollars, and wow. if you want the DCT, I think it's fifteen hundred dollars more. So you're looking at Pretty even money compared to like a GTI for a lot more power two hundred and seventy five horses and I think a similar amount of torque two hundred and seventy five pound feet of torque it's um the 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 vehicle itself with the dct I was worried primarily about feeling disengaged from the drive. So, so much Mm. of the Veloster ends experience was feeling like it was right there with you, like you and the car together were having a blast and it wanted to go quickly just as much as you did. And I really enjoyed that. But with a DCT, when the shifting is taken out of your hands, I mean, it has paddle shifters, but you can just leave it in automatic mode if you want to. There's always the chance that that extra layer of insulation is going to make the car feel more humdrum. I'm happy to report that wasn't really the case. I would still purchase a six-speed version of the car, but the eight-speed is fun. It does work well in traffic, and it's actually, I think, 0.4 seconds quicker to 60. This is the cheapest okay. way to get to 60 miles an hour in less than five seconds on the market. Wow. Wow. Yeah, it does it in something like four point eight or four point nine, depending on how the launch control system's working, because it kind of gets hot over if you do repetitive launches. But uh it is extremely quick. And um it's actually it's quicker than a type R, which has more power and is more expensive. I think the type R, like I said, starts at 38 or 39, or it did for its previous model year. So you're getting a substantial discount with yeah. the end but you're still getting the same amount of speed. And
0: that's, that's the number one thing I wanted to ask you about. Now that now that they're they're contracting the Veloster line to just the N. Is it more affordable, right? And is it like a, a better value play? And, you, and you're answering that question like very, very I mean, clearly. I don't I think.
1: think it's. I don't think that the contraction has anything to do with the value of it. I think kind of the Veloster's just always been that value. Oh, Sammy, you know what? I'm gonna take it. I'm gonna divert from Veloster talk for a second. We totally forgot about the Jetta GLI. <laughs> Is that still a thing? It's still a thing, and it would be the direct competitor to the SI. There you go. Uh, And that's 228 horsepower. I think
0: that's a pretty solid product, too.
1: Yeah, you are. And, like you said, much bigger than you think it would be. Mm -hmm. So, like the Civic, it's gotten large. It doesn't really feel like a compact sedan anymore. But it is a four-door sedan. It is probably the closest thing on the market to the type... uh, Sorry, the... the Are you
0: live live broadcasting? Did we get a listener who... Told no, you about I the had my GLI, assistant just, just came
1: in and handed me a sheaf of papers, and written on the top was G L I question mark exclamation mark underlined twice. So I had to did they
0: fax? Was that a
1: fax from? It was from a fax Volkswagen? from Volkswagen. They're like, "Yeah, you forgot about me. you said golf, but golf is I should have been talking about the golf and the GTI as as it relates to the Veloster. So the Veloster more powerful than the GTI, only mm. a little bit more expensive, but it could be argued that the GTI, you know, with the extra doors on both sides. And a nicer interior is maybe the better choice for a daily driver. Um, I haven't driven the brand, brand new GTI. As I mentioned earlier, it's coming up in a few weeks. But compared to past models, I prefer how the Veloster N drives. I will say, though, the interior, Sammy, not really that nice. Uh Uh-oh. It's got a lot of plastic. It's got a lot of drab colors. And by colors, I mean grays and blacks. The only color you're really going to see is the blue on the end buttons on the steering wheel and the blue on the seatbelts. Like, other than that, you're in plastic land, which is fine. But uh, other cars do it differently, so that's something you might want to take into consideration. It's smaller, I think, cargo-wise than a Golf. Uh, that's kind of made up for the fact by the very deep well in the hatchback area. You can put a ton mm. of stuff back there, but it's it's not as big inside. And... um It looks a lot more aggressive than GTI. It has got like a giant box wing on the top of the hatch and the front end is all, you know, twisted and aerodynamic and it's got, it comes in a bunch of shouty colors and it's, it's not as under the radar as a Golf would be. Okay. That's, um, I don't know. Like,
0: I don't know how else to say this. The Veloster has, for a product that seems so niche, like really random in so many ways, it's managed to fill in this white space that makes it more appealing to so many more
1: people right it's it is my favorite sport compact car and i don't not i'm not a fan of front wheel drive it's not really my thing but i do enjoy driving this vehicle fast i had it during a a snowstorm and it was on winter tires and the car loved to pirouette with the handbrake it's (laughs) uh it had decent traction I i believe it has a limited slip it had uh, the programmable end mode. It's weird. They went to this new screen where you can have like regular end mode, which is, you know, hardcore everything, but you can also have a custom end mode. And I would use that to, I, I like driving around with the loud, loud exhaust and the aggressive engine settings, but the regular suspension, because if you're in the end tune suspension on Montreal roads, it's extremely rough. Even on like expansion joints, you notice it's as a problem. So to soften the suspension, it brings up this weird spider graph on the on the infotainment screen and it's mm-hmm. like all of the different cardinal points are things like transmission engine exhaust noise suspension but it's like There's a line that draws, connects each of them, and you slide the slider in towards the center or out to make it more hardcore. It's really, really hard to use while you're driving. Like, you definitely have to be stopped when you're doing this, even to figure out how it works. But it's it's the only performance car I've seen in a while that uses that kind of interface. Um, That is very bizarre. What else did you. Did you.
0: Like, I I guess I didn't really talk much about the interface of the Civic SI, but tell me more about whether or not it was. Like did you get did you get more bet closer accustomed to the Android Auto or anything like that?
1: No, I did I couldn't get Android Auto in it to work. Uh <laughs> I it just wouldn't launch. Uh it was it said it was paired on the system. Um I think it might have been my cable. Yeah, I think I might have a, a power only cable. Okay. It's not wireless in the Veloster, and and that's another thing to keep in mind is this is a vehicle that as they're starting to peel away different you know this is the only version of the Veloster now they're not pouring money into it (laughs) so it's an older version of the infotainment and it doesn't have like a an LCD gauged cluster or anything like that it's just like old school gauges these are something you're going to have to be okay with if you're paying for the if you're paying a new price for this car up against a redesigned SI up against a redesigned GTI it's gonna (laughs) it's gonna have a different feel. So tell me, is there – same question for you,
0: really. Like, there are N-line vehicles like the Kona N. Is the Veloster N in in threat? Like, is it in in endangered species territory?
1: Well, I mean, N-line is something different, and I'm going to actually be talking about an N-line vehicle – next week. And it's actually the Kona end line, but I understand okay. what you're saying. There is an but actual- But there is a Kona end though, yeah, right? I, there is a Kona end. I would And say... a
0: Veloster and, and Sorry, and an Elantra end coming too.
1: Yeah, but I don't think the Elantra end plays into the Veloster end at all. I do think that the Kona end is going to kill the Veloster. Mm. I think that they'll probably sell way more of them and it will be much harder for them to uh, justify having a Veloster end in the lineup. I don't- and
0: how will you feel when that happens?
1: Well, I don't know exactly if they're going to keep a manual version of the Kona N, if it's going to exist. But mm-hmm. the Kona is pretty fun to drive. So having a larger, more useful, yet still fun N-line hatch, which is essentially... And it, will it be what, all-wheel drive as well? I would, I mean, would assume the Kona so. I would assume so. Um, I, I don't think that's a bad thing. I would like to see the Veloster continue, but I'm not sure how much growth there really is for hot hatches right now, especially super weird hot hatches. I think this is kind of a vehicle that existed. It's kind of like, you know how we used to love the um, that Nissan, the super weird Nissan that I can't think of right now. Cube? No, no. The one that looked like the frog. Oh, the Juke. The Juke. So the Juke is a super cool car that makes no sense at all. Like, it's no. a very
0: odd vehicle to exist. It's completely impractical. It's very fun to drive. It... Feels like a crossover, but yeah. really doesn't act like one.
1: And you could get like turbo all-wheel drive, but only with the CVT. <laughs> <But, laughs> yeah. But there was a guy who used to bring a a Juke to my local lapping club, and he would go out there and just kill it, lap after lap on the racetrack.
0: Yeah.
1: I think the Veloster when it first came out was pretty weird, and then the yep. second generation car they got rid of a lot of the they they improved it, they made it yep. better, and I think we're kind of at peak Veloster now. I just don't see where it goes past this point. I don't think people have responded to the three-door thing like they thought they might. And it doesn't necessarily make sense to keep pushing that narrative.
0: That's really sad. I'm just, I want to say it's weird to me because to me, other automakers, well, I don't know, maybe not all other automakers, but like, let's look at BMW, for example. BMW has like one plat—like not one platform, but they can put the same engine and drivetrain in so many products and still have a a a reason for them to all exist right like a 2 series a 3 series a 4 series a 5 series all use are all all can be rear wheel drive or all wheel drive they can all use the 4 cylinder 6 cylinder um they can be fun to drive or or like pra- like sorry front to drive or practical or both why are other automakers not following that like modular sort of Philosophy that think, say, BMW I, has.
1: I mean, I think they are. I think every Subaru is currently built on the same platform. Yeah, that's true.
0: I but just don't think when you there's... look at Hyundai, Hyundai, why not have the Veloster and the Kona and the Elantra and which are different cuts of the same? Because it takes um, up showroom meat.
1: space and that could be devoted to more profitable model lines.
0: But are the end products, the, the enthusiast products, the profitable ones?
1: No, I'm saying they're not. I don't think that. I don't think they sell so very many Velosters at all. Well you you would care if you're a dealer and you need to make money and you have these Veloster ends that you're forced to buy from Hyundai and if you don't buy a certain number of Veloster ends they don't give you, you know, whatever Santa Fes that you can actually sell. So you have to produce a product that people want. And I think some people want the Veloster end, but I think in comparison to a Kona end, it's going to be a much smaller market. So I mean Are that's we- the business decision. I think it's a pretty yeah.
0: easy business decision. Then are, then the final question is, are we at peak enth- – like, not peak enthusiast vehicle, but there are a lot of enthusiast vehicle choices for um, for shoppers who don't want to spend a lot of money. We just talked about two $30,000 cars. We brought up a couple of other ones, including the Mustang. Um, are the options like, – like, if you had $30,000 in your pocket, would you know exactly where you're going to run off to to spend it?
1: I <laughs> – I don't know. I don't think we're right at peak performance. It's fun. not peak
0: performance, but I do think you know what I mean. That like a long we time have. ago. <laughs> but do you know what I mean. Like there are so many different options, and they each give you a very different driving experience. What you get in a Veloster N will be different than what you get in a Subaru BRZ and a Golf GTI and a Ford Mustang and who knows if the I, I can't remember the price of the Kona, but. You know what I mean? Like there are so many options that are so dramatically different for the enthusiast to pick that they will find. Will they find the one that's perfect for them?
1: Sure, but I mean, maybe. But we're also in a world now where we're just kind of moving towards the crossover um, <clears throat> convergence, where everything's just going to be a crossover the singularity. Yeah, so that's that's kind of something to keep in mind as well. I'm yeah. honestly surprised Honda doesn't have a high performance compact crossover. It seems the, like the, it's the odd.
0: HRV. It's gonna it's gonna come because it seems like they're making a. I think the original HRV was like a, almost like a carryover. I don't know if they really designed it to be what it was. I mean
1: I, if you think about it, Honda doesn't really have any performance products other than the Civic yes. I mean the accord is is pretty quick, but it's not marketed that way. that is true. Everything is kind of left to the uh, the Acura has kind of taken on the mantle of performance for Honda, and that has not gone well, <laughs> with the exception of an NSX. Yeah, um, I would still so argue it hasn't gone. <laughs> it's gone fine for that By car. L- the the least interesting supercar I've ever driven. <laughs> You're
0: brutal.
1: Um, I don't know.
0: It's it's funny to me. Like I just think about it a lot. That if I was given this change and I needed to this not change. It's not even good. It's not even changed. Thirty grand to spend on a on an enthusiast vehicle. I think my pick would still be the the what's it called the Subaru and be excited about that but that's because i don't have a need for ultra practical or a hatchback or rear seats or anything like that but if i did that product is still out there in say the civic or the gulf or the gti
1: so kind of moving from uh vehicles that make sense from a price pricing perspective to those that are totally insane yes recently and I, when i say recently i mean last week at, at Mecum, an auction i think it was in florida i'm not sure a grand wagoneer crossed the block sammy at a price that will blow your mind are you are you ready do you want to guess how much this vehicle sold for it's just i think it was an 86 grand wagoneer so that's the first year of the grand wagoneer before that they were just oh
0: yeah first year wagon first year grand wagoneer uh which are always the most bulletproof ones (laughs) (laughs) uh i guess uh let's say 50 grand no it actually for a 30 year old for a 30 year old vehicle 35 it's three times that amount
1: 100 <laughs> what 100 no you're mistaken 154 thousand dollars and this is, i i just want to talk about this quickly i as a grand wagoneer owner it's super weird to see this kind of thing happening so the one as a non-grand
0: wagoneer owner it is also super weird to see this happening
1: this is a this vehicle that sold the other strange thing about it is it was not in amazing shape like it was a restoration, but there were a lot of things about it that were off, like the color of the wood that was used, the color of the wood trim around that wood, the seats inside the truck. It They weren't original looking. Um, and that kind of reflects the fact that for Grand Wagoneers, there's no such thing necessarily as numbers matching or originality. People mm-hmm. are just, they, they they improve these trucks. They, the, the serial numbers on the engines don't match the chassis anyway. Um, even engine swaps can have like the one that I did in my Jeep actually improve the value of my vehicle in, insur- in the eyes of my insurance company. So prices are all over the map. You can you can pay a lot for like a low mileage Survivor. You can pay a lot for this monstrosity, which is double the highest price on the Hagerty, I think, uh, evaluations for an 86 grand Wagoneer. Or you can pay a d- decent amount of money for something that's been modernized. But what I want to specifically talk about for this vehicle, $150,000 for a classic car, it has an effect on all examples of that car. And yeah. if if you look at Hagerty valuations for a, a number two condition, which is like not pristine, it's like excellent shape, but not, you know, kept in a museum. For the Grand Wagoneer, it's gone up 98% in the last 12 months. So for someone like me, I bought my Jeep. I, mine's an 87. I bought mine. It's been four years now. And the reason I did it was because partly because I knew prices were going to go up, but I wanted to be able to afford one that I could use as a driver. I wasn't buying it in advance of prices rising from an investment perspective. It was because I didn't want to be priced out of the market and be frozen out of being a Jeep owner. So wh- now that these vehicles are so valuable, and the insurance on mine, I, I, I had to have it evaluated this summer. And it's no exaggeration to say it is now worth... Seven times what it was originally insured for because my yeah. my the company originally, they would only do purchase price. They wouldn't uh, do anything more until I had it inspected and evaluated. I waited until I did my swap and some other work on it before I had that happen. So in that period of time, it's not so much the money, that the, the work that I put into it, but it's a combination of that and the market moving. But it's really affected how I enjoy the vehicle in the sense that now I have to be really careful about where I park it and where I store it because it has a value that I didn't expect and it is an attractive target for thieves because they can easily sell it for easy money Mm -hmm. and especially SUVs in Montreal um, they're stolen all the time but these are very easy vehicles to break break into and all of this stuff is something I didn't have to worry about when I first bought this vehicle but now when I store it uh, for the winter for example I can't keep it in a location there are a lot of places in Montreal where it's like one big warehouse filled with cars I can't do that I'm not going to leave my car in a place where other people can see that it's there, make a shopping list and come and get it. Uh, I don't store the vehicle in Montreal at all anymore. It's way in the boonies in a top secret location that is secure and safe. And I don't have to worry. Um, But also when I'm driving it, I don't leave it overnight in strange places. I don't leave it on the street for long periods of time. It's just unfortunate that something that I bought to drive and tow with is now becoming a collector's vehicle to the extent that I have to be careful about how I use it.
0: Okay. So, is, well, you're not going to baby this thing around, will you?
1: It's not so much talking about babying it in the sense of me driving it. It's being real, realistic about the fact that it's now a theft target because it's worth, not necessarily worth a ton of money, but in the eyes of a potential thief who sees something like one of these vehicles selling for 150 grand on a televised auction, it yeah. definitely targets existing Jeeps. And I you know, I'm gonna be taking this to the racetrack. I'm gonna be parking it in front of, you know, sketchy hotels in the middle of the night in the middle of nowhere. And now this is something I'm gonna to have to think about more than I used to back, you know, four or five years ago when this is just a Jeep that you bought and you drove around and you didn't have these kinds of concerns. So it kind of sucks. I mean, I don't buy these I don't buy my vehicles to be investments, but both the Grad Wagoneer and my Z have undergone a surge of interest that has changed their value perspective and now i have to think about these things when i'm owning them and and, you know driving them around i also have to think about the fact that if someone hits me in an accident it's going to be i mean i could have the insurance company turn around and say no we're not going to repair this because it's going to cost us too much because you know parts for these vehicles are hard to get now and blah 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 here's the agreed value and you can just go away so anyway Kind of a mini rant to tie up this episode this month, or sorry, this month, we're now a monthly podcast, <laughs> but uh, this week, but it's something that I've been thinking about for the last seven days and I kind of wanted to get it off my chest. I think
0: it's important to talk about that. There is an impact. Now, did you, like, I, I don't, I can't remember if you mentioned this before, did you anticipate it getting to this point?
1: No, as I mentioned
0: just now. When you, when you bought it? No, no I, I bought it because but you I didn't knew- think it would go down in value. Did you?
1: No, as, as I mentioned, I bought it when I did because I knew they would go up in value, and I didn't want to be frozen out. But I didn't know they would, you know, se- sextuple or octuple in value in the in the course of a, of of a year.
0: And you really usually use this as your like daily driver. When it is the my daily driver. Yes. So is it gonna, is that going to change?
1: I think what's going to change is what I mentioned will change in the sense of Where how you... I how I park and store it. Yeah. 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 Okay. So that means that I can't take – I mean I already – You're going to get a
0: club. It. We're going to put a club on the steering wheel. No,
1: but I already don't take it to movie theaters. You know, okay. I don't park it in a parking lot at night for two or three hours at a time out, out of view. I don't mm-hmm. leave it downtown. These kinds of things. And, and that sucks. It sucks that I have a vehicle that I can't trust in those situations just because it's so easy to steal and so desirable to steal. And I got kind of blindsided by that. So a lot of people in the Jeep community, they celebrate these kinds of sales because they're like, oh, my Jeep's worth so much more now. But what are you going to do with that value? It's like it's like yeah. celebrating the fact that your house is going up in value, you know? What it really yeah. means is you're going to pay more taxes on your house. <laughs> you only realize that value when you sell your house or your Jeep. And at that point, you don't have it anymore. And that kind of sucks. <laughs> right. Well,
0: it's an interesting perspective. I think it's an important perspective, actually, that people really don't realize. Um, so... All you guys out there collecting Jeep Grand Wagoneers, stop it. Uh, Ben wants to park his – so we need to go to the movies and I don't want to stop – I don't want to pick Ben up every single time. Right?
1: Yeah.
0: It puts a lot of strain on me.
1: (laughs) It's a long commute.
0: (laughs) Anyways, thank you everyone for listening. Ben, why don't we tell them about – I'm going to tell them. I'm going to do it. I'm going to take responsibility here. I'm going to tell them where they can find more episodes of our podcast Um, If they're so interested, you just head on over to our website, unnamedautomotivepodcast.com. And when you're over there, you'll see all of our previous content, all of our old episodes. You'll see photos of the cars that we've been testing and even links to stories that we've written about them. Um, So you can get a better idea of how we think about them outside of these 45 minutes or however long we talk about the cars for. Um, Additionally, when you're on our website, you can click on a bunch of links at the top of the website to subscribe to your to, to subscribe to the podcast using your favorite podcast client we've got a bunch of buttons up there for like Spotify and um, Amazon and castbox and I can't remember all the other ones now but yeah you you can find most of them up there if you can't find it up there just use your podcast client search for us unnamed automotive podcast and you'll very easily find us right in there one more thing about our website is that there's a contact form you click on this contact button you fill out the form and it Whatever you send us
1: lands in our inbox. It works Please keep like that magic. in mind. Whatever you send us, we're going to see it.
0: <laughs> yes, it works like magic. It's great. I love it. Um, and if you don't like it, you can get in touch with us um, a variety of other ways. I would recommend social media. You can reach out to Ben on Instagram. He's at HuntingBenjamin. Uh, you can find me on Twitter. I'm at Sammy underscore ha, H-A, like you're laughing. Um, and additionally, you can email us the old-fashioned way. It's Benjamin at BenjaminHunting.com. I think that's all the things I usually say. There is one more thing we should add: um, Kofi, K-O-DASH-F-I. Um, it's ko dash ko dot com slash unnamed automotive podcast, isn't it? Yes. And you can uh, tip us however you're feeling. Um, if you if you like what we're doing, go ahead, send us a few bucks. It helps keep the lights on, the podcast rolling. And uh, the car's coming, which is always nice.
1: And uh, as I mentioned, next week, I'm going to be driving the Hyundai Kona N-Line. Sammy, what are you going to be driving? I've got the Civic Hatchback and the Kia
0: Forte 5 GT, which is not, as far as I remember, can't, is not available in the U.S., so it's an interesting uh, perspective there on, on hatchbacks.
1: All right. Thanks, everyone, for listening.
0: Thank you.